Hello, Glenridge Church. Welcome to our sessions at Sandy. We trust that you'll be encouraged and equipped through these podcasts. Enjoy. Hello, my name is Sandy Fanfiran, counseling psychologist, and today I greet you rather wistfully, as this is the fourth and final of the Sessions with Sandy episodes, certainly for September anyway. And we've been looking these last several weeks at the ABCs of relationships. Today, the topic that I'll be looking at a little more closely revolves around the notion that we are born with a craving for connection, which, may I add, is often experienced most exquisitely in the comfort of community. Some more C's for today. Just look at that. (laughs) And speaking of community, may I use this opportunity to thank you, a community of listeners, for your extravagant, actually lavish encouragement and feedback regarding the content of the preceding sessions with Sandy that we have had to date. It has been gratifying beyond what I can properly say in words. So, a simple thank you will have to suffice for today. But let me continue. I'm going to start with a little story told by Dr. Henry Cloud upon landing at a distant airport. Clearly, this was a little scenario that played itself out before COVID. And his first instinct upon landing was to reach for his cell phone and switch it on. As the story goes, he claims to have glanced down at the screen where he noticed a little wheel of sorts circulating repeatedly in the upper left-hand corner. And as he continued to stare almost mindlessly at his cell phone screen, It occurred to him that in the same way that his cell phone was searching for connectivity, so it is with us as human beings as we seek out connection at multiple levels. Think for a moment of FTT. Some of you might already have heard of this condition in babies. Quite simply, FTT stands for Failure to Thrive. What was discovered was that little incubated babies often struggle to stay alive simply as a result of absent human touch, absent connection. Think also of that landmark experiment by old Dr. Harry Harlow in the early 50s and 60s, regarded as classic, certainly, but in my opinion, quite inhumane something that animal activists would never allow now. Harlow's work was done with primates, monkeys and the like, and became a pivotal study in providing compelling evidence regarding the imperative of social connection in those early developmental stages of human beings if we are to thrive optimally. Dr. Cloud goes on to speak authoritatively in his book The Power of the Other about the four quadrants of connection. I'll skim briefly over the first three. Quadrant one being that of no connection. Quadrant two, that of bad connection. Quadrant three, that of pseudo-connection. And quadrant four being where we want to find ourselves. And that is in a space and place of good connection. Now, quadrant one is about such instances where we find ourselves just not, proverbially speaking, eating the same hay as that of another person. 
Quadrant two sadly is where many marriages and sometimes even friendships can find themselves. One moment there is a blowing hot and the next blowing cold. Now depending on how erratic and extreme the pendulum swing between hot and cold is, timeless intervention and counsel for relationships that find themselves in quadrant two can often result in such relationships graduating beautifully into the desired quadrant four. Now, regrettably, quadrant three connection is also not a good one, and it is that of the artificial postured variety. It's in this quadrant that social media most particularly tries to woo and win us at every turn. It can manifest at the more chronic end of the scale in individuals actively spinning a web of lies to create an image of perfect connection or alternately just a simple kind of posturing to create a semblance of perfect connection when in truth the connection is corrupt. Very sad, very sad. But let's move on to the desired quadrant. When looking at quadrant four connection, there are three questions you might ask yourself. Why? Question one. When? Question two. And who? Question three. So let's start with question one. Why? What is the benefit of having a good connection? There are many benefits, including longevity, Actually, if the dividing, defining rather, and empirical research of that American psychiatrist and professor at Harvard Medical School, Dr. Robert Waldinger, is anything to go by. Do yourself a favor. Go listen to his TED Talk. But more than that, for me, the joy of a friendship where I experience the kind of iron-sharpening, iron connection remains one of the sweetest gifts I have received this side of heaven. We seldom welcome correction when it's dispensed outside of authentic relationships. When people speak into our lives before relationship has been properly established, it often just smacks of judgment and censure. So, get into quadrant four relationships, please. I urge you both so that you can be that un for others and have them be the same for you. It's a space where there can be that giving and receiving of beautiful truth, but always spoken in love. And it's pertinent to belabor at this point the extraordinary privilege, I say again, privilege of a caring community like the one we might encounter, for instance, within the context of the church. It can be the very space within which one can enjoy the cover of wise leadership, the experience and benefits of accountability. It can provide a glorious context of comfort and containment as we navigate the vicissitudes of life. Let me tell you for sure. But question two, when? You might wonder how often you need to be spending time nurturing such quadrant four relationships. 
Well, outside of marriage, it might be prudent to keep the word moderation in mind. I once read in a resource that I prize most highly for its wisdom that it is a good idea not to visit your neighbours and friends perhaps too often because you might well wear out your welcome as the old adage admonishes us familiarity can breed contempt. We need to know how to strike that beautiful balance between presence and absence in a given space. But now question three, who? You see, our choice of friends will often determine how we navigate some of the challenges that life throws our way. Wise friends will often successfully build us up, help us, bring insights and perspectives that are life-giving. It is wisdom when choosing friends in our life to also remember bad company ruins good character. My mom often said this to me. And so-called bad company can come in multiple subtle guises. So be sure to have your wits about you. Choose your close friends wisely. Such good friends can often provide outstanding sounding boards when we are contemplating new perspectives. For instance, Douglas Murray, who is an investigative journalist, has written a book called The Madness of crowds, where he effectively debunks the myth that the vocal minority is more powerful than the silent majority. What he has to say can be deemed by some to be deeply provocative. So it's invaluable to be able to speak with wise, discerning and insightful friends when unpacking such a new and for many maybe refreshing perspectives. You know, Douglas Murray actually left me realizing anew how much we need people who can fill us with strength and courage when we face difficult situations. Situations that might have left us feeling bullied, often by people from whom we might never even have expected it. Bullied into submission when a wave of popular madness opinion, as Murray might call it, washes our way. I'm going to end with an acronym. This acronym provides some key ingredients in getting to know ourselves and getting to know others so that we can cultivate that quadrant four connection that carries substance. The acronym is attributable to Dr. Mark Brackett. Mark Brackett is a professor at Yale and he wrote the book Permission to Feel. He says it is an absolute imperative that we have to understand the emotional landscape around us. And in the process, we learn how to manage our feelings and our fears, and then also the feelings and fears of others. Now, this can be done, it is claimed, by using what Dr. Brackett calls the ruler principle. R for recognize, U for understand, L for label, E for express, R for regulate. Let me briefly explain. R is for recognize. We are to recognize emotions by noticing it in our bodies, our faces, our thoughts, and then pause. Pause in capital letters and introspect. Observe and break down those masks. And we need to do the same in our study of others. We need to be 
human scientists or emotional scientists, not emotional judges. And we need to have a genuine curiosity, not just a morbid, inquisitive fascination. Really want to know and understand, which brings us to the you, which stands for understand. We have to understand the causes and consequences of emotions. Try and look at the themes. Themes like anger and like fear and like disappointment. That desire to understand, to really climb into the shoes of another, is pivotal in this ruler principle. Let's move on to the L, label. In other words, when the word label is used, it means that we have to try and give a name to the emotion. Beware of reductionist type labeling, reducing all emotions to a simple mad, sad, glad state. It is important to introduce these different labels, different to just mad, sad, glad. Introduce them early to our children. And you can, let me illustrate with an example, not only say, oh, I can see you sad, but instead label the emotion after carefully studying the situation so that you can say more accurately, I see that you are feeling disappointed because you had hoped that you would get this and now you got that. It's just an example to illustrate how you move beyond the reductionist sad, mad, glad options. But let me quickly move on to the E, which stands for express. Giving expression is not straightforward because sometimes there are barriers of power or of gender, culture, a whole lot of different barriers that could make it difficult for us to give expression to the emotions, particularly when it leaves us feeling a bit vulnerable. We need to go into an appropriate space where we can reflect on the feelings that we have about our feelings. For instance, sometimes I feel ashamed that I feel envious. And you see what happens is because of my shame, I might end up talking about it to nobody. I suppress it. I just put on my mask, not of the COVID variety, but that psychological mask, and I just become increasingly more inauthentic. We can start to see now why expression is really important in an appropriate space. And now the final R. R is for regulation. What are the strategies that can be used in order to increase or decrease or contain certain emotions. These can be cognitive or relational or emotional or psychological or spiritual strategies. There are multiple contexts where such strategies can be acquired, including, as I mentioned in the first session with Sandy, they can be acquired in the context of utmost confidentiality with a a skilled and experienced clinician whom you feel confident will fully understand your framework of reference. And so I end and say again, please remember, as always, it is not information, this information or other information, that brings transformation in our lives, but it is the application of that information. And on that note, I say thank you again for taking the time to listen today and goodbye.
Thank you for joining us. If you have any questions for Sandy, please email hello at glenridge.org.za. Your questions will remain confidential at all times.